Well, this series, My Faith Won't Fit on a Bumper Sticker, has been really fun for me. I hope that you have enjoyed it just a, like a fraction of as, as much as I have. Um, have you enjoyed this stuff these past few weeks? Good. So if, if, you've, if you haven't been with us, I'll give you the, the brief recap, and then you can always go back and listen to the podcast. We've had some technical difficulties with our internet connection here at the building, um, so the audio hasn't made it to where it's supposed to make it. Just So we're a couple weeks behind on the podcast, but... Stick with us. You'll find the messages if you missed them. And if you happen to be listening to this one right now on a podcast, your um, app may have only downloaded this one. You may have missed a couple, so you might want to go back and get a couple because of that delay. But um, we started out by talking about bumper sticker faith, how our faith is too complex and deep and profound and closely held to fit on these little tiny stickers like we sometimes see. Um, people either distilling their faith down into a slogan or making these ridiculous bumper stickers that have very tiny six-point type on them um, just so they can fit all their favorite doctrines on a sticker. And, and we just kind of reject that idea. And then in the second week, we talked about having a bulletproof faith, uh, which was very simply uh, our explanation of why we don't publish a statement of faith with lots of specific doctrine on it on our website. Um, we do publish some things on our website. I'll, got, I'll get to that in a little bit later, actually. But we don't rely on those doctrinal dif- distinctives, even though we do have them, for our identity. And then in the third week of the series, we talked about politics. Of God and country, my faith won't fit on the flag. And I told you, um, I hope with as much passion as I felt it, um, I hope it was in my voice, why we don't have a, an American flag in our sanctuary. And... Um, and a lot of other things, too, about, about politics and uh, our allegiance and the kingdom of God. And then, of course, last week, uh, almost 70 of you were here um, for our <coughs> service projects. Our faith won't fit indoors. We literally came in here for a little while and then went outside, tried to act with our feet and our bodies what we were saying, which is that our faith is bigger than the, the walls of this building. And we did service projects all up and down South Clinton Ave and on the side streets and cleaned up planters and gardens and swept up trash. And we just tried to love our neighbors in a very tangible way. Um, And I think that the picture that we've painted over the past month or so of Artisan has been a picture of a really wonderful, unique, delightfully quirky church. I mean, I think Artisan is like the... uh, the weird girl in the indie film, romantic comedy, right? <laughs> you, just, you just can't hold on to her. Um, <laughs> right, she lets the hair down and takes off her glasses, right, yeah. And, and then, that's not the indie film, Ken, that's a different film. <laughs> But seriously, though, I, I thank God for this church, not just for what a privilege it is to serve you and actually, more importantly, to serve alongside you, but because it is, for me personally, the very best place to grow in faith as an individual, as just a, a Christian person who's just like the rest of you, trying to figure things out day to day, week to week, as I go through my life. This is the place where I want to do that. And, and so I love artisan, and I love our quirks. I do. I, I admit that I take a certain level of pride in being that quirky um, indie film girl. You know, <laughs> somebody's going to cut just that audio out. <laughs> I can already tell. 
I already know who it is, too, actually. <laughs> but here's the thing that I really, really want you to hear. If those quirks about artisan, those little characteristics that we're so proud of, if those are the things that define us, we have missed the point. Because it's not about us. Ultimately, there is one, at least one thing, that is decidedly not unique about us among all the churches uh, around town and uh, around the world. One thing that we wouldn't want to be unique, we want this to be the same as all the other churches, is that we worship the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is great and unsurpassable and incomprehensible and utterly transcendent. And all those other little traits are a part of who we are, but they are not the big picture. In the big picture, if those little things don't help us worship God, they are not only meaningless, but they're actually a, a silly and harmful distraction. And if we, if we were to become preoccupied with all those, those little artisan distinctives, we would be a hipster church. <laughs> I mean, some people already call us the hipster church. But you know how the hipsters get so caught up in these little tiny things and they miss the big picture? They define themselves by their eccentricities and, and a bunch of nonsense about how they're cool and did this first and all that stuff. I don't want that to be what artisan is like. I don't mind being called the hipster church if it, if it means those other things. But if that's what it means, I don't want any part of it. I think it'd be better to be a fully traditional, predictable, culturally tone-deaf congregation full of closed-minded, anti-intellectual, political ideologues who actually worship the one true God than to be the coolest church on the block and miss that key point. So all those things about us that we celebrate, they had better be secondary to and, and actually an avenue to worshiping the Almighty God, or we are in trouble. We've said our faith won't fit on a bumper sticker. We've said our faith won't fit on a doctrinal statement. We've said our faith won't fit on the flag. We've said our faith won't fit indoors, but the reality is, and this is a shocking reality, actually, our faith won't fit our God. Our faith is not big enough for the God we worship. So the Bible, both the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and the Christian Bible, the New Testament, and the tradition of the church are clear about this thing that I'm talking about today, that God is big. That would be the Sesame Street way to say it. God is big. Insert joke about cutting PBS funding here. <laughs> God is too big to describe fully. God won't fit inside our little faith boxes, no matter how interestingly shaped they might be. So what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is I'm going to bury you in quotations from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and from the tradition of the church that all talk about this. So sit back. You are in for a fun ride. Um, somewhere there's a Bible. 
I had it with me. I don't know what happened. I got this one. Thank you. Look, now there's 17 Bibles. That's great. I, I usually will put page numbers on the screen, and there's just so many references today that I'm not even going to bother with that. Um, but if you'd like to, if you know Bible real good, if, you, if, you're a, if, if you're a sword drill champion, you might be able to keep up. And if you don't know what a sword drill is, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. Because there's too many people here who do, unfortunately, know what a sword drill is. We read Psalm 99 at the call to worship. Do you remember how that, was, how that started? The Lord is king. Let the peoples tremble. If you were to look at uh, Exodus 33, the story of when the Israelites were, were freed from slavery in Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness for a long time, and uh, Moses was their, their prophet and their priest and, and their go-between, between the people and God. And he was the only one who could get close to God's presence on Mount Sinai. But not even he could see the fullness of God's glory. Really, really interesting way this is described in Exodus 33, 19 through 23. God says to Moses, or Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What a wild description that is of God's presence. Moses can't even look at him face on, or he would die. Uh, in the book of 1 Kings, uh, you have the story of the construction of that first temple, that first permanent place for God's presence to reside. And it took years and, uh, I mean, the equivalent of millions and millions of dollars in today's dollars, just gold and jewels and iron and wood and everything coming together, hired professional artists, and, and <laughs> I mean, it was a production And at the end of it, Solomon is praying a prayer of dedication of this temple, this most important physical place in the history of God's people to that point. And he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. If you've read the book of Job, uh, it's a really fascinating book, and it's a very difficult book to understand, actually. Um, but Job goes through a lot of trouble, and, and he complains to God. And as the, as the book is kind of getting near the end, God gives Job this incredible verbal beatdown. There's really no other way to say what God does here. Well, there's other ways, but they're not as funny. Um, <laughs> at the end of Job's long complaint in Job uh, chapter 38, I'm going to read just a few verses of this, but it does go on and on. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkness that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And here's a, here's a euphemism for you. Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. 
Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? And just God goes on and on and on talking about how he is the boss. That's not a theological term, but that's what he's saying. There's a very famous passage in Isaiah 6 where uh, Isaiah witnesses the, the throne room of heaven and there's angels with three wings and they're flying with some and covering their face with some and covering their feet with another. Feet is another euphemism, by the way. And they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. I can't even be in your presence, God. And then the angel puts that coal on his, on his lips and says, you've, you've been made clean. Later in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So all throughout the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, you have this very clear image of a God who is big, who is almighty, all-powerful, unsurpassable, whose presence you can't even witness, let alone be in, and stay alive. The New Testament is clear about this too. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. God's presence is everywhere. 1 Corinthians 13, which is the, the passage that so often gets used at weddings, and that's fine. It talks about love, after all. But right in the midst of that is this great statement, for now we see in a mirror, dimly. And remember, the mirrors that were in existence at this time were not like the ones you have in your bathroom where you can see very clearly. They're foggy. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. There is a, there's an end to our knowledge, and it's very soon, <laughs> way before you get to the knowledge of God and the full understanding of Him. Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. And then, of course, Turning back to Ephesians, this time in chapter 3, you have our theme verse for this series. And Paul is praying for the readers of this letter. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The tradition of the Christian church echoes this theme, as if the Old Testament and the New Testament were not enough to convince us of God's bigness. John of Damascus says, what he is in his essence and nature is absolutely incomprehensible and unknowable. All that is comprehensible about him is his infinity and incomprehensibility. <laughs> I love the old doctors of the church. They have such a great way of saying things. Clement of Rome 
Speaking of God, he will act at all times as and when he chooses, and not one of his decrees shall fall, fail. The entire universe lies open before him, and there is nothing that is hidden from his counsel. And then, of course, a saint who has some connection uh, to modern-day Rochester, St. Bonaventure, I guess not Rochester, but our, our region of the country anyway, said this really, really cool, it's just enough math to make you think, but not enough to be, un, uh, you know, hard to understand. He said, God's center is everywhere. God's circumference, nowhere. So by now you can see, I hope, that our faith, as much as it might express a lot about who we are, is nowhere near big enough to express who God is. Our faith won't fit God, meaning it won't contain God. The God we worship is not one who will be contained. So in one sense, all this stuff that we've talked about over the past month is just noise. Artisan's a great place, and you are all wonderful people, and we are delightfully quirky. (laughs) But let's not get too caught up in ourselves, talking about my faith won't fit. It's not about us. It's about worshiping an uncontainable God. Let's pause and pray together. Lord, we come before you on on one hand just thrilled and thankful that you have made Artisan such a unique place. A place where, where many of us have said that is our first value. And it expresses our belief about God and our confession that God is beyond our ability to express. The statement that we put under it is this. We humbly recognize the sovereign power, reverent mystery, and gracious wonder of God who is worthy of our worship and full devotion. Does that sound familiar after what we've just spent the morning talking about? See, for us, all this stuff about God being big and, and, and beyond us is really a foundational principle for, for what makes artisan who, who we are and what it is. And so today's message actually serves as a little bit of a bridge between this series, the My Faith Won't Fit on a Bumper Sticker, and the one that starts November 11th, which is called Ancient Paths, New Shoes. And that's going to be about artisans' mission and values. Uh, We're going to spend the first week talking about our mission statement, um, and then the second and third weeks will be values two through five, because we've just talked about value number one today. So this, this message kind of fits both series. So that's a little taste of what's to come. But some of you who've been around here for a while have heard us talk about this kind of thing today um, before, right? And if, you are, uh, if, you've, if you're a member of the church and, or, or if you've gone through our Journey Together membership course, whether or not you became a member, you certainly remember talking about those values and this, this concept that we've talked about today. And, and if you have a sharp ear for this stuff, you might recall that the theological principle at play that we're talking about today is transcendence. Theologians speak about God as being transcendent, um, meaning he surpasses, he goes over everything else, certainly over everything that he created. 
But you probably also remember that we never talk about transcendence without talking about what else? God's, oh, thank you, somebody said imminence. And this is, this is how the, the doctors of the church have talked about God since the start of Christianity. And actually, it goes into our, our Jewish roots as well. It's a, it's a very clear Christian doctrine that God is both transcendent beyond everything and imminent intimately close to us. Both of those things are true, and it's not fair or accurate to talk about only one of them. So like with so many other things in our faith, we have to always seek this balance between the two things. And nowhere is God's imminence made known to you and to me more than in Holy Communion. Because at this table, in the bread and in the wine, we have the meal that Jesus himself offered his disciples face-to-face, hand-to-hand, whose lives he had invaded and changed and whose hearts and minds he had captured over years spent together, whose dirty, smelly feet he had washed with his own two hands. And I want to invite you now all of you who are modern-day disciples of Jesus, to come to communion and to ponder this great mystery of God's transcendence and his imminence. And I've given you a a way to do that physically this morning. I put this kneeler out in front of the communion table. And if you're not comfortable there or if you're not physically able to use it, that's okay. You can just come to the side and take communion as normal, tearing off the bread, dipping it in the wine or the juice. But if you are um, looking for a a way to enact bodily this mystery of God's transcendence and imminence, I would ask you to kneel at the the kneeler. And we may take a little longer with communion as a result. That's okay. Kneel at this kneeler. That's an expression of God's transcendence. As we talked about last week a little bit, the the throne room of heaven, coming into God's presence um, with all the humility that we can possibly muster that would be appropriate for the transcendent God of the universe and kneeling before him, the king, Jesus, whose body and blood is at this table. But as you're kneeling, you are also reaching out and, and taking that in your hands. And, and I hope that that physical act will remind you of his closeness, his imminence. You kneel before a transcendent God and you take into your own stomach the imminent God. We always say at Artisan that we have an open table, but at the same time we know we're a community where people come who are not uh, not Christian people. Um, I know that word isn't always the most helpful word, but it's one that's been used for a long time, so we still use it. But if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. It doesn't matter if you're a member of our church or if you have all the right doctrines in order. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this, this room is still for you anytime you want to be here. But this is something that you should wait on for now. You can sit and think and pray and know God that way. But this is something that we express as Christians together. Um, so however the Holy Spirit may be speaking to your heart today, I'd invite you to respond with honesty and obedience. And we're going to continue to sing some together. Um, I'm going to ask you to give Bethany and Anna the, the first chance to come to communion because they're going to lead us in the first song after this. And um, after that, you can come and receive this communion.
Yeah. 